What's up, everyone? Welcome to Cinematic Underdogs. I'm your host, Paul Keelan. And I'm your other host, Jordan Puga. And today we're joined by another special guest, JB Huffman. JB, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? What's up, guys? I'm JB Huffman, host of Manly Movies. Yeah, getting in, getting that gruff beard for all those people who can't see us. He's he's got his manly manly stash going on all sides of the face. Yeah, for the tape today, it's a trucker beard. We're doing a trucking movie. He's got his, his trucker beard, his his arm wrestling beard, good going playoff beard for the for the time right now. Just let it all go out, man. I, I honestly, if I could, if my wife would let me, and if my boss would let me, it would be like all the way like Duck Dynasty style. But <laughs> I gotta keep it trimmed up, you know. So. It is what it I is. feel you. I feel you. One of these days, you'll be you'll become an actual man and not just watch manly movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. One of these days, when I grow up, I'll have my full my full beard that I want. Just playing with you. Manly movies is an awesome podcast for anyone who hasn't checked it out. Go check it out. We were just talking before we got on the air of his last episode, which was like a first reaction episode. It was like really short, so you can you can go give it a shot. It's about like eleven minutes, and it was on the new Adam Sandler movie. So it's dropping today. So we are excited about that here at Cinematic Underdogs as well because it's a it's a classic sports movie from the looks of it. So JB, you liked it, correct? I did. I really enjoyed it. That that was a, a new kind of thing for me. I don't usually do episodes like that. Normally I I have a guest on and we will pick a movie that's one of their favorite movies and we kind of talk about how how it connects with us as men and how it applies to our lives. But with this one it was just like I got a, a screener and so I watched it and man th- that film like he said like most people like it. I think we were talking about it before. Most people like the movie. It's not like a huge five-star smash, but it's just like a really good basketball movie with a lot of basketball players that actually were pretty decent actors in the movie. Like, And Adam Sandler does a phenomenal job. And his uh, who was the guy that was he was mentoring? I'm trying to think of his name. Juancho... Hernan Gomez. I don't watch very much NBA uh, basketball, so I didn't know who this guy was, but he was a really good actor. So definitely check it out for sure. Uh, It's about he's kind of like a mentor to this kid and he puts all of his eggs into this one kid to kind of he's like a a scout. Adam Sandler's the mentor, right? Just to clarify that. Yes, yes, yes. Adam Sandler, the 60 year old Adam Sandler is, uh, is the mentor to this kid. He's a recruiter for the NBA and he kind of takes his kid and he puts everything into him wanting to get him to the NBA. And he's there's a, a father element and there he's kind of taking the role of his dad, of his father figure. There's a lot, lot going on with it that I think most men would enjoy. And uh, so Queen Latifah is also in it, too. So oh, there, nice. there's all, always that extra, extra special there. So. Yeah. Nice, nice. You yeah. sold me on that one, man. That sounded like <laughs> perfect for like not just our podcast, just like up my alley of sports movies, like uh, the other side of a uh, high flying bird, pretty much, right? Uh, high flying birds, like with the sports agent, but this is you said NBA recruiter, right? So kind of yeah. a little flip. Usually, like there's usually that absence of the father, some sort of surrogate father figure in these uh, sports movies too. So yeah, that's a definitely something I think we might end up covering or piggybacking off you on that one. <laughs> Yeah, I love these recruiter movies too. Like Million Dollar Arm is an excellent one. That Disney yep. one where John Hamm goes to India to recruit. I loved uh, the one with Clint Eastwood, uh, Trouble with the Curve, where he's uh, more of a scout. He's not a recruiter so much as a scout. I think there's a slight difference between the two, but that one's a really underrated gem of like the last 10 years in the sports film genre. But yeah, this one sounds really exciting. It's almost a unanimous consensus that this lead, I think he plays for the Utah Jazz, 
Um, and once again, I don't know him that well either, even though I do pay attention to NBA and bet on it all the time too. So the names are constantly popping up for me. Um, no clue who he is, but I heard he's amazing, like across the board. So oh, yeah. that that's exciting. And it, it's just cool. Like I like that it's about the Phillies, Philadelphia 76ers. I think that's, I don't know. It's always a ripe location for a sports movie when you have a Philly movie, except for, oh, I guess, yeah. Invincible. Yeah, unless Disney's <laughs> doing it. Disney can't do We've been over this. Disney can't do Philadelphia. But you've got the, the the goat sports movie, which is Rocky. So good good point. <laughs> yeah, which uh, brings us to our episode today, uh, oh, to the topic at hand, because we're doing another Stallone movie. We're continuing our Stallone series. And today we're doing Over the Top, which came out just a few months before your co-host's birthdays in 1987. So it came out on President's Day weekend of February 13th through the 16th and to start it off like we always do and just to whet our appetite on film talk we're going to get into that box office because we like to dig into like the random forgotten movies that are stuck way down there in the canon of time and uh you know just shoot the shit about them so it's a pretty interesting list i think it's a list (laughs) that we're very unlettered about like we have between us i think just a few films that we've actually seen so did any movies (laughs) stick out to either of you before i start mentioning them that you would just want to bring up right off the bat well i mean first of all i was kind of going back through them and i mentioned mannequin which was number three on the list and I was like, I've, I've never heard of some of these movies. And I started naming them off. And I said, Mannequin. And my wife was like, Mannequin? You've never heard of Mannequin? I was like, no. She's like, oh, it's, it's Andrew McCarthy. And he like falls in love with the mannequin. I was like, okay. That's awesome. Reminds me of the the, the Gosling film. Lars is a real man or something. Remember that one with Ryan Gosling? And he no. falls in love with the blow up doll? No. <laughs> I was thinking oh. of her. I was thinking of her too. Yeah, with the Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> her is great too. I yeah, mean, no, her's a dope. That's a good movie. But my yeah. first thought was like, it's just like an 80s version of that because they didn't have the smartphone, but they had the mannequin. They had the mall, the mini mall. They're like, hey, there we go. I haven't and seen this though, so I don't know. And then, you know, there's Pinocchio. So that was the original. But I think that's kind of like it is though. Like, I think the, the mannequin comes to life or something, maybe. Or I- either way, it's weird. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to back myself up. Lars and the Real Girl is the name of the film, and it's by Craig Gillespie. So it's by like okay. a legit director. Craig Gillespie recently that. made I, Tonya. He did the the last 101 Dalmatians movie, Cruella, which I loved. I thought Cruella is like the best movie from Disney in a, in a good minute, in a hot minute for me. I loved it. I love so the cool. costume design, the way it was integrated in the story. Getting off topic, though. I'm glad your wife is a better cinephile than all of us here today apparently so yeah i think she needs to start a podcast called womenly movies <laughs> <laughs> she could do for it sure. man. she could do um, it but jordan anything for you on this list that pop yeah. out there's a couple that pop out like because there, there are staples i've seen so like star trek voyage home obvious one like uh like we've heard people listen to us her know my dad worked on star trek movies so um i always remember this one though because that's like the this is the one where they come to san francisco for a brief period of time um, it's like in the 20th century, right? And they may, I remember this great scene where they refer to like the, oh, the doctors of the 20th centuries as like barbarians and butchers, which always like stuck with me. It's like, it's a, a cool sci-fi thing. I'm like, what doctors are butchers? I'm like, oh, cause they suck. Cause they don't have all the cool stuff. Like, like Star Trek dudes do. Uh, it's always a dumb little connection I have to that one. But in terms of like, a, like the game, you have to play, like, which one would I watch or whatever? There's one like Black Widow, right? Which isn't Scarlett Johansson, like a solo movie that we were all waiting for, for like 
15 years and finally got this one sounds cool though because i'll give you a synopsis this one's basically about a woman who mates with millionaires you know marries them weds them and then you know kills them and gets their money and for anyone mm-hmm. who's fans of adam family values the sequel or no adam's family if i remember i mixed mix them i think it's the first one uh right it's a plot where uncle fester's wife is the black widow right and that's her that's her call name right but i don't know if it's a reference to this movie or not or just if this is like a general term for that type of action, but like that'd be the movie I'd want to see um, on this one. That I, if I, you know, had that magical ticket that that stands out. Yeah. What awesome. about you, Paul? Yeah. I mean, you jumped the boat on the magical ticket. You just oh, let sorry. us into the game. <laughs> we didn't bad. set the rules yet, Jordan. We That's didn't why I play set the games, rules. Though. I, yeah, cheat. You know that you play with me. I, I steal your butterfinger. You know, come on. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. And then but Paul flips over the mono- Paul flips over the Monopoly game and says, "Screw this game. I'm going home." <laughs> Exactly. But but poor JB's here. He wanted to pick that one. He doesn't even get to pick it now. True. He, it's he just, okay. He stole his thunder. Um, but anyways, no, no I got I got I got two other ones on my mind that I will All right. Pick. And and Jordan, you still got one more. At least uh one is gonna come after the fact that we laid the rules of choosing our two movie tickets for the weekend. So I'm gonna lay out some more movies before I decide. I'm not even sure what I would see yet, but uh I definitely think. Black Widow sounds intriguing. I love Jordan. You read the synopsis or summarize it really well. A Deborah Winger too in an 80s film. I mean, come on, that's pretty fun. I think that another one that's high on my list, of course, I'm a huge Woody Allen fan, despite Woody Allen himself. Um, I love, you know, all of Woody Allen's au revoir. And he's got a film on here called Radio Days. It's just one of those I've never seen. I've seen probably 80% of his movies. It's about a middle-aged man who's looking back on his childhood in Rockaway, New York, on a series of vignettes focused on the golden days of radio. So it doesn't sound too far off of your, what you'd expect from an Allen film. And I have Mia Farrow's in it, so there's going to be some juicy, retroactive drama and suspense there, right? Because they're not on good terms anymore, that's <laughs> for sure. Um, but yeah, it's just about his eccentric relatives and various radio personalities. It just sounds like neurotic. New York, Woody Allen. So that one sounds really fun to me. Uh, the other one that sticks out to me right off the bat is A Room of One's Own. And that's because I read the book by Ian Forster, but it's a terrible room with bore. A view. Yeah, oh, with sorry, a... sorry, sorry. Yeah. No, that's I, a fair I just thing. I was it. thinking the same thing. A Room of One's Own. Yeah. Yes. A Room of One's Own is that's, Virginia that's Woolf, Virginia which Wolf, is yeah. funny. Thanks for correcting me. That was a maybe a it wouldn't be a Freudian gaffe, but it makes sense because I read Bose when I took a class on the Bloomsbury group in Cambridge. So to pat myself or to look cool, I can make all these references out of that <laughs> mistake, which was really bad. So uh, yeah, uh, Ian Forster and Virginia Woolf were contemporaries. And I guess they stole each other's titles and confused us a hundred years later, <laughs> basically. <laughs> but uh, Virginia Woolf, cool. Ian Forster, eh, I don't know, like a passage in India, huh? Kind of boring. All his books are kind of boring to me. Very stuffy. And A Room of One's Own is actually kind of boring too, but everything else by Virginia Woolf is amazing. So <laughs> I'd pick any Virginia Woolf movie over anything here, like Orlando, let's say. But but those are the two that uh, I'm kind of looking at right off the bat. But there's a lot of other fun ones here. There's like Crocodile Dundee, like gotta be a goofy one to see. Um, there's Outrageous Fortune. Do you guys know anything about Outrageous Fortune? I don't know anything about that one. Not to uh, look this up earlier. <laughs> okay. Uh, what did you find on Outrageous Fortune? I have not a single clue. I, and that's also surprising to me because it was the number two film of the weekend at yeah. 6.3 million. This is the third week in a row it was the number two film. 
So it has some staying power. So apparently people were liking it at the time, but it's got Shelley Long and Bette Midler. Two women unknowingly share the same man, but when he dis- disappears, both go out looking for him and enter his surprisingly dangerous life. Hmm. You know? Bette Midler, I guess, is it a Disney film too? I believe, yeah. So that's a, a unique Disney film too. Hmm. It was <laughs> yeah, such a right. weird 80s movie. I mean, yeah, sorry. And 80s week. I mean, there's a lot of good movies, but yes, we have not tackled the one film I, we have all seen, I believe, right? Right on the top of the list. I don't know who wants to steal that as their ticket for the weekend, but uh, well, it's Platoon. Jordan, what do you remember about Platoon? Do you have any anecdotes with your dad? Did he work yeah. on that or did you watch it with him or anything? Yeah, that was like one of those, again, like I say, that dad movie that's always on the background. But like my dad, he, he is like a Vietnam vet too. It wasn't like his like go-to Vietnam movie to like discuss the discourse. His was always Full Metal Jacket. Him, that, that movie, like the, the boot camp half of it really spoke to him. It was like his thing, like for sure. Like, he loved, brought him great memories of boot camp kind of thing. So like that, that one was his. So like Platoon was one of those ones that was on. I'd catch it here and there. Um, didn't have like a strong connection to it. I mean, that one's still up to grabs. That's not that's not the one I'd use my ticket on, to be honest. Uh, but it is a good movie, though. All right. Well, then I'm stealing it. It's mine. I love Platoon. Okay. I'll go Let's see it again. It. Yeah, I absolutely love it. Charlie Sheen's amazing. Willem Dafoe's amazing. It's got like that fiery scene where they're all sweating. It's just it's kind of psychedelic. Oliver Stone really gets into that psychedelic vibe on stuff. But it's just dark. It's really about the traumas to me of Vietnam. It's not a friendly or I mean, there's no Vietnam movie that's fr- uplifting really but i I don't know (laughs) it it goes there for me i i'll I'll pick that it's uh got a great episode too on on spool to give a shout out to that podcast where they do the afi top 100 on platoon really interesting like background story about the the military sergeant they hired for the film and sent all the actors into the jungle of vietnam for like a month and a half and they all like were getting eaten by leeches and like severely dehydrated like they had to go through insanity just to prepare for the film so i i that's pretty interesting like it really adds to it yeah did you watch the uh documentary i did not uh uh, it's like an hour and a half long and it's man it's it's one of the best like i call them films about films (laughs) it's one of the best making of documentaries i've ever seen like and what Oliver Stone put those guys through to to actually live in this in this Vietnam state was just unbelievable. Like so, just hats off to William Defoe and all those guys. Like, jeez, for not quitting too, because it was near sadistic. It was almost like oh, he was he was like reenacting his own trauma or like in, inflicting it upon them. And you know, we get these like controversial, uh, you know, actors. Yeah, tidbits these days, right? About like some set that was like unsavory. I mean, it's weird. We don't see Willem Dafoe or Charlie Sheen complaining about that one. And like yeah. literally they're put to hell and back for that film, yeah. just for art. So <laughs> it is a good point. Like, 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 you know, 80s and 90s, that's just, that's the stuff that made filmmaking legendary. Mm-hmm. Whereas now it's what makes it like scandalous, right? And it's usually something way more minor than the stuff that we're like, that's badass, dude. Like that makes that scene cooler, right? What's interesting about that film is it is a testament to the power of word of mouth because I was looking at this and it was number one. And then I, I dug a little further and I realized it came out four months prior and it opened at number 14 and it only made less than a quarter million dollars in its first weekend. And wow. so, <laughs> like, like $241,000 first weekend and then 352 the next weekend. But then it finally, you know, hit a million the, the next week and then it like started getting better and better. And then week five, it, finally got up to number four and then it hit number one it was number one for four straight weeks so it's like people started catching on to how great this film was yeah 
how to like make that climb to get that top spot. Oh yeah, for sure. That makes me wonder too, like, is that Oliver Stone's like very first film? I'm going to look that up for our listeners as we go on, because what that sounds like to me is it was like project. What? That's got to be too big of a project for it to be his first film. It's weird though, because sometimes these first films are like that. I was reading today, like a 25 year retrospective on Con Air. And that was actually Uh the director of Con Air's first film. Imagine Uh be giving an $82 million movie for your first film. It's wild, right? Yeah. But it's definitely early in his career. It seems like Stone was, you know, probably releasing a, how could that be an indie film though? And they'd had to have a huge budget just to do all this stuff in Vietnam. So, (laughs) yeah, you know what I mean? But um, it's, it just sounds like it's either like that slow word of mouth, or maybe it was one of those New York LA openings. And then it got the wide opening on this weekend, but either way that, that is definitely a big box office for the first weekend, 12 million strong. I mean, we don't think that today, but Mm. we're doing these box office contextual discussion to the beginning of all our podcasts and in the 80s there are usually around nine to ten million for the for the top film so yeah just two million more but uh, relatively it's quite strong um so what would be your other pick jb i hadn't picked any of them yet actually yeah you got two yeah i I just had some antidotes there (laughs) (laughs) how could you not pick mannequin after that reading that synopsis yeah (laughs) like how could you just walk in there and be like i'm not not, i was like shut up and take my money when when you read that to me that was me. <laughs> okay, I'm putting myself in the mindset of, of when I was a kid. And at this point, I was two years old, but let's just say I was, you know, 10 or something. Two actors who defined my childhood were Sylvester Stallone and Alex P. Keaton. <laughs> like, I'm drawing a blank. Michael J. Fox. I don't know what. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> so Alex P. Keaton was his character in Family Ties. So there was between Family Ties and Back to the Future. So when I'm looking on here and I saw Light of Day, this was its second weekend. I'm probably going to go see that movie because it's it's a it's about two brothers, not two brothers, a pair of siblings must uh, choose whether to pursue their dream of touring with their rock band or support their family and stay in Cleveland, Ohio. And I'm a musician. I love Michael J. Fox. I love family stories. I definitely would have been wanting to watch that movie, even if it was the worst movie ever, <laughs> which it doesn't look like it did too bad but i mean it's michael j fox i'm gonna want to watch that and actually i've never even heard of it until right now so i'm gonna watch this like you know tomorrow yeah so, sign me up too with joan jett really? on the other side of that too yeah exactly right that is joan uh, jett in that oh okay i was yeah, looking at the poster yeah. i said joan jett standing next to michael j fox <laughs> i mean what a what a weird treasure even if it's terrible like i'm sure like just the fact that they're both sharing the screen together it's got to have at least some good music in it, or at least a soundtrack worth listening to, I'd imagine. Oh, I bet it's got some great music. It, man, it's an 80s movie. It has some great music. <laughs> That's some clappers. Uh, and then my other one, I'm, I'm just going to have to, I, you can call it a cheat. You can call it whatever. I got to go with over the top, though, because I'm I'm a big Rocky fan. All of them. Even Rocky Five. I, st- I also like Rocky Five, and I know people like to crap on that. But and it's 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 a bad movie. I don't care. It is a bad movie. But <laughs> following Rocky, the progression of his life, that film makes a whole lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I, I, I probably would have gone and see Over the Top because, dude, it's Stallone. He's arm wrestling. It's a father son thing. Yeah, that, that I'm all over that, man. So. <laughs> 
Awesome. A little bit of a cheat, but awesome. I'll, t- I'll take it. Right. I mean, why not? I, I didn't know that wasn't, I didn't know about if that was the rule or not. So it wasn't, but I just wanted to call started you started breaking the rules. So there's the rules went out the window. I just want to by default win this today, even though there's no actual winner either <laughs> by going Jordan, you both cheat. So I won uh period. Uh, anyways, Jordan, you get one more pick. I think Last I did both here. my picks, right? I did. Yeah. Yes. I did. Yeah. Radio days was my first one, even though I don't know if I definitively said it. And then I stole the, the platoon. The yeah. obvious one so jordan you, you jumped the boat but what's your last one i think i'd have to go with the comedy in this one i'd have to say crocodile dundee because i do like crocodile dundee it's a staple of the 80s the first one's a good one yeah i go crocodile dundee i'd like to see that one theater just eat some popcorn and laugh with everyone else uh man this is a movie that made australia like you know a little trendy for a little bit in the 80s here for a bit with the fashion and everything led to some great sitcom references particularly in the 90s so i'd have to see that one in the theaters I think you're the winner today, to be honest. Uh, I think that with the Crocodile Dundee and uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I call that a win. Just, I don't know. It, it's it's got to be a funny movie to see in the 80s. I wonder what the crowd would be like and what the response would be. Would they take it like seriously at all? Yeah, I don't, uh, know. I don't, I don't think I'm so. sure they did. I mean, I wonder part of the appeal is just seeing like said like Paul Hogan, the you know foreign, not really heartthrob, but you know, the kind of uh, exotic appeal of him. And then like the light comedy of it makes it just like, a, I would think just a good like Friday night movie. And in the list of that kind of line here, you got like war movies and like, you know, like over the top, right? With Stallone, but like Stallone's like a, fa- that, that's a, we'll get into that today. It's like a family movie realistically too. Yeah. Um, But like, I'm sure I had to be like, I didn't see the trailer, but it had to be portrayed more of like a, like you said, like a manly, like tough guy movie for sure. That's the way I remembered it too. Yeah. I just remember the hat. I always remember the hat and him like posing <laughs> with alligators or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but i mean i always wanted a celebrity death match between paul hogan and steve Irwin. oh dude that would, <laughs> that would be so epic that would that be perfect would be cool. yes uh, oh, man. and that would have been awesome too if if steve Irwin and could have if he would have lived longer rest in peace but if he could have like revitalized that film franchise that could have worked oh i know dude you've been perfect oh, for it man that would it would be awesome. like, like jackass with like that he could have done his own stunts and all that stuff with animals like i don't watch that that would be uh, so meta like the uh, jackass crocodile dundee movie that would be <laughs> like creating a real film like the uh, borat meets crocodile dundee i think we're really <laughs> onto an idea here maybe we just need to get the jackass guys right because they had the wild boy show where they went pretty oh, wild yeah. with the yep natural environment i i just saw jackass 4.5 so it's on the top of my mind today. <laughs> in terms of fun movies about musicians with a big star and an actual musician uh, an actual like pop star we also have not in 87 but in the 80s another stallone movie rhinestone right with stallone and dolly parton yeah. I, I would you rather see the michael j fox joan <laughs> jet duel or would you rather see stallone and dolly parton I'm going with Michael J. Fox and uh, Joan Jett, man. Uh, Sticking with it. Sticking with it. Okay. Jordan, who wins I mean, the celebrity death match? This looks intriguing. I'm-, <laughs> I'm I'm with JB on that one. I would see the light of day. Like the poster and the synopsis has already sold me. I would definitely want to see it. But who wins that celebrity death match? I think Michael J. Fox comes out with it. He can travel through time. Hey, <laughs> it's still okay. This, <laughs> like, this, I mean, this movie like, wants some Razzie Awards, man. Like, <laughs> it was like... Light Which one? Did. Which one? Rhinestone? Rhinestone, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because Stallone owned the Razzies. We're going to get into it, but I think they won three Razzies for Over the Top. So okay. the Razzies have like a love fetish with Stallone. And really, I think it's a badge of honor to win all those Razzies because it's got to be so good. Yeah, it's got to be so good to win that still because 
has to make a dent, right? Like I feel like the the Travolta movies that make it like are wildly entertaining of the last few years, even though they're like shit shows, they're wildly entertaining <laughs> singular movies. So props to all the Razzie winners out in the day. Uh, <laughs> and especially Razzie movies age better than most good movies, right? Like, would you rather see the English patient or oh, a Razzie no. movie? Today? <laughs> it doesn't matter what you said. I'm going to pick the other because I hated that movie so much. <laughs> I remember we had this conversation before. I totally forgot about that. I did a long piece on it, actually, where I tried to explain how to watch The English Patient to try to enjoy it. That was okay. I almost started it the other day. I still haven't watched it. It was like actually fun for me because it was like this nostalgic dated relic. It felt like such a cornball, sprawling 90s epic. So I didn't take it as high art from the get go. So it was okay. Like very melodramatic, very histrionic. Yeah, a bit wild. So before we digress too much, let's get back into the <laughs> film of the of the day, the film of the podcast, Over the Top. And so my first thought of this movie, at least especially for the first 30 minutes, wow, this movie is so over the top. <laughs> <laughs> it's really the, the freeway chase scene that did it for me. Uh, I think it rivals <laughs> Bowfinger for like one of the, the wackiest freeway chase scenes in all time. But I... Bowfinger is going to win that one. The Eddie Murphy scene is amazing. I, and Steve Martin, right? I, I forget who, but that, that I just remember watching that freeway chase scene with my dad in theaters as a kid. Awesome. But, but yeah, over the top and this kid actor. So over the top, man, it's a whiny little brat, but uh, I don't know. He kind of wins me over by the end. I'm actually uh, not so negative on it, but first impressions. Let's start with you, JB. Uh, I know you have this correct on DVD. So this has got to be a little bit of a classic. What, what's your first impressions on this movie? Well, I want to give you a little bit of a uh, of a backtrack on, on my history. I, I actually had never watched this movie up until like a year ago, but I had heard about it because I watched. Did y'all watch The OC or Gossip Girl? The show, The OC on Fox. Yeah. Oh yeah. heck yeah. Okay. So the <laughs> the the showrunner Josh Schwartz of The OC and Gossip Girl was a apparently a really big fan of this movie because uh, there's a, there's and uh, Gossip Girl, the name of the band, Rufus's band, is called uh, Lincoln Hawk. And <laughs> <laughs> and in the OC, there's actually a lot of commentary about it because Ryan's trying to get, I think, Lindsay to come over for Thanksgiving. He said, well, what did y'all do last year for Thanksgiving? He said, well, I guess, I guess all we did was we ordered Chinese food and washed over the top. I remember <laughs> that. <laughs> I remember that. He's like, so do you want to come? She said, can we watch over the top? <laughs> So he's like, we can always watch over the top. So, and then they got home and then I think they mentioned it to Sandy and she's like, oh, a girl after my own heart. This is Stallone, one of Stallone's greatest, finest moments. Like it just. I'm glad you brought that up, JV, because like I used to make fun of Paul for watching the OC when we were in high school and low key, that's the episode I saw like after dinner and I cracked up because like the over top reference is like nailed. I, I just just die. I love how, how it like threaded into like the relationship. And I was like, that kind of got me into watching this show. So I find it great that you brought that up. It's a weird connection to this movie, but it's hard, hard to jump in there. No, no, you're fine. Dude, okay, I'll just be honest. I watched the OC in high school with some friends and then I watched it through college. <laughs> you I've watched actually, it twice. I, okay. <laughs> no, 
Well, no, I mean, because oh. it was on in college too. Like oh, it, it okay. came out my freshman year of or my, high, my senior year of high school. And then I watched it through college, but then I went on to watch it like two or three more times after that. So like, <laughs> I have a, I have a low key love for the OST. Um, it's okay. I'll, I'll come on to manly movies. We'll, we'll do a television episode and just geek out on Misha Barton and uh, <laughs> Ben McKenzie and I, I was a Rachel Bilson guy myself, man. Um, yeah, I, Rachel Bilson was like the like cool, non-conventional crush, right? Yeah. If you were trendy. If you're like the Abercrombie and Fitch kid, you liked Misha Barton. But if you, <laughs> but if you like something a little edgier, like uh, I don't know, American Eagle, <laughs> <laughs> or dare I say Hollister, you liked uh, Rachel Bilson. That was me, man. I was all about summer. Summer Roberts. <laughs> oh, yeah, Summer was the name. I still remember the final episode, too, where like Misha Barton dies in a car accident, right? It just like oh. broke high school. <laughs> <laughs> I remember coming to school the next day and everyone was very sad. <laughs> no one wanted to laugh the next day. Took a week. <laughs> I think school therapists like had had schedules filled. For a good <laughs> they month. hadn't got that filled up since like Optimus Prime died in that Transformers movie. Uh, kids going flashbacks. <laughs> But that's such a killer song too to start it, right? I love that song. Phantom Phantom Planet. Yeah. Phantom Planet, right? The Schwartzman. Yeah. But I kind of love that you brought up that too. First of all, because it it gave someone else besides Jordan, uh, who's our resident, like crazy esoteric trivia from like TV shows that always have like some in on our films. He's like perfect at that. He always brings up like the like last thing i would know so it's perfect but someone else brought up a tv reference of a film we're doing oh i'm so. loving jb so far he's like <laughs> michael j fox and stallone he likes the oc like we're getting, we're getting along yeah <laughs> so yeah that's how i found out about the movie like i don't think i'd even heard about it until the oc so i, I think last year i was i just watched rocky the the whole rocky franchise again for like the umpteenth time and then i was just like hey man i'm gonna check out some more salon movies and i saw over the top was on amazon prime or something so heck yeah i'm gonna watch this and i had actually just recorded a a podcast episode with uh don shanahan he's getting a shout out on here yeah so but and i was telling him i was about to watch that and so uh right before i watched it right as i was watching it he sends me a youtube clip of (laughs) (laughs) of that uh the big bull guy with his, he's saying you ain't shit <laughs> slamming him down and and he, i think his anecdote was from a guy who appreciates a good curse word this is one of the best ones like in in, in, in a movie so i saw that clip before i saw it in the movie because he sent it to me but yeah first impressions man i, I mean it was fun a lot of fun but i really cling to the father-son aspect of the movie I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of cool arm wrestling stuff and we can get into that too because this is a sports movie, a sports podcast after all. But I really clung to the father-son thing and, and the second chances and it was just a cool story to me. So. Definitely. And Jordan, you pick up a lot on the father-son. I noticed tropes and dynamics of these sports movies. How do you compare this or what's your context and insights about this film as compared to either on its own, first of all, as like a standalone or compared to like some of the recent films we've seen, right? We've seen a lot of like Karate Kid, for example, mm-hmm. even though it's like not his actual father, right? Mr. Miyagi's very much daniel son surrogate mm-hmm. metaphorical father in that. So like, how, how did this resonate with you in that well, conversation? Yeah, I like that you kind of set set a good tone for that because like we always point out when we have the, like you said, the ungrateful child. That's a sports trip I'm always pointing out. We'll get to that one a bit. Um, but it has the pillars of all like the sports movies with kids dealing with kids and coaches and some sort of team, right? We have the single parent 
or single parents in this case, right? They're like co-parents, right? But we have the uh, mother who's like dying of cancer or something like that, uh, who's been a single parent, right? And then we have Sylvester Stallone who's reintroduced to his son because he's sick. And it's like his exploration of his single parenthood. So it has that like going, but it's a little more complex than say like Charlie and his mom or even like Angels in the Outfield, right? With the um, foster parent, Maggie being like a single parent, right? The single parent always comes up. And then we have like George Knox and that one being like the father figure for JP and them, right? In the end, he's got to earn it just like this, the trials and there. So I like that about that actually, like for the sake of this conversation and the sake of this podcast, it was lining up really cool with that. It's not played out quite as elaborately as some of these other ones but it's all kind of there so it definitely goes into the idea of like i think that's just a quintessential trope particularly when we're dealing with like the tough guy father figure too right you have to have that like this the distance between the, the child and the father although this one is really interesting because like most of that distance is created by the kid not really the father which uh i don't know if you guys that kind of that stood out to me because like using like uh the examples I already pointed out like um angels in the outfield and mighty ducks both those kids aren't like super like antagonistic towards the father figure like they have their their you know the dip in the arc where they have to read the father figure has to redeem himself in their eyes and then you know the happy ending that you know, plays out usually nice that's how we get those great feels but this one the kids just from the start my dad is dumb my dad is a drug dealer my dad is this like he's gonna give some context for me like this is one of those slow movies i'd seen as a kid but it wasn't like the first slow movie by any means like first one was like rocky um rambo demolition man all those so like this is one of those ones for me it was like i've never heard of this one let's check this one out and i always remember the mostly the arm wrestling stuff i forgot all the stuff about the kid completely forget because this is one of those ones like when i'd watch this one like most other slow movies when i was a kid uh, my bird and I would want to like reenact it. So it was Rocky. We got the boxing gloves. We one of us would be Drago. One must be Rocky. Next day, one would be Mr. T. Right. This one would really made us want to arm wrestle. Anytime you're done with dinner at like a table at dinner or something like that, and we'd watch over the top recently, we'd start like grunting, doing the no <laughs> you know what i mean i look at my mom and be like what are you guys doing like we just watched over the top and like and i'm realizing i don't think i ever really watched the whole movie i really just watched most part like the last 15 minutes of it with all the great arm wrestling and we'd go at it and like that's why i have this really strong connection with it and i'd always forgot about the kid i forgot that there's a whole you know mechanism of why these giant angry dudes are like slamming arms so like when i'm watching it, it was like really abrupt I'm like damn this kid is a little asshole this kid is mean and like <laughs> I, like he he's, he's smacked upside the head because he's like just coming at this dude left and right so it did have that kind of like i said that other trope of like the unappreciative kid but this one was just like next level you know like using our my favorite example little giants where we have like johnny because they have the great name too his name's johnny and his dad <laughs> just can't make it to his game because dad's always busy he's always working he's the high-powered executive who travels a lot it seems like right and it's that great moment where johnny's dad shows up in the end zone he runs to him he hugs him great feel good like right the absent father coincides this one from the start i'm like i don't like this kid i don't want him to end up happy with stallone i'm like i want stallone <laughs> to go do something else but as a kid i'd not have that connection to this so like for me this is like a really like just complicated experience watching this i haven't watched this in years fascinating so first of all for our listeners jordan literally reenacted grizzly and slapped himself on the face a bunch of times which is one of the best modes of the movie. Yeah, um, it's great. But I do like that starting... when he puts that cigar out in his mouth. <laughs> the best moment. That's the best moment. No, the slap no. in the he face. He drinks of... castor oil, right? He literally drinks castor oil. It's the next. I forgot about that. I was like, dude, that's like it reminds me of like ogre from uh, Revenge of the Nerds. That that level of brutality. <laughs> Dude, that, uh, that he goes for it. I, I wish he would have won. How did he not win? He could have just breathed fire on everyone. <laughs> 
They probably had no rule against that. Just scorch the opponent the second they like bring the bell to start the match or whatever they did. We'll get into some of the hijinks too, because like I feel like still uncheated on one or two of the matches, but let's not get there first. What, what I do think is funny too is you you didn't remember that it was about the kid mostly. And really, this is like two thirds not a sports movie whatsoever. Yeah. Like we almost yeah. get zero sports in this. Um, it starts off, to set the synopsis for any listeners who haven't seen or, or even heard about this movie, right? Because it is kind of slightly obscure for many. It's my first viewing. I'm sure there's a lot of you out there who might also be somewhat unfamiliar with this movie, unless you watch the OC religiously and take all of their suggestions to heart. <laughs> Follow up those references and check them. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> it starts off with the kid, right? The little brat, David Mendenhall, the actor playing Michael Cutler, right? And he's like at a military academy and Stallone's picking him up and Stallone's his estranged father, right? We get a vague backstory of Stallone. He left for reasons that are never delineated or outlined, um, which I like actually, because they could have like made Stallone even more of like a sappy, tragic, oh, he had to leave for some, you know, economic reasons or something, but they didn't do that. So you get the fact that he did make a mistake, which I appreciated that fact. But basically it's like a custody battle, right? This is a movie about custody. It is between Stallone and the grandfather, this douchey rich grandfather. And yeah, it really has a lot of the father-son elements in all these movies, right? We have Mighty Ducks with Gordon Bombay, you know, and Charlie, who doesn't have a dad, he's never present. Uh, Jordan, you mentioned Angels in the Outfield, a great one. Even Top Gun, right? Mm-hmm. We just saw with Top Gun 2 Maverick. Oh, rookie we have the, yeah, man. Oh. Yeah, we have the whole, you know, Maverick Rooster dynamic going on there. And one that I kept thinking of actually even watching this movie, it's a weird one. Kingpin. Really? There's no real father-son there, right? They're almost the same age. But... It's actually like Kingpin's like him running away from the father, right? Yes, that too, right? Because the, the past of his father, who was yeah. awful. But then I, in a weird way, you could see it as like almost a class dichotomy instead of a father-son relationship. Mm-hmm. But Woody Harrelson and the Amish character, and I forget his name, I feel like they kind of got a father-son dynamic going on as they're traveling across the country a weird one but a lot of elements because of the class distinctions right because as you guys noted right this kid i called him whiny i think jordan called him a brat (laughs) um but he's more anything he's a snob right he's like a classist snob who constantly talks about cholesterol poisoning and and lectures Stallone for ordering a steak and orders them both tuna salads and whole wheat toast and water with lemon. I, that was my favorite part, right? Um, yeah. He calls him dumb, right? He literally says, because Stallone's a truck driver, you have it takes no brains to work this machinery. You know, so once again, again and again, we see his arrogance, right? He's this little aloof, entitled, privileged, white-collar baby, you know? And so what I like about this one, too, is this weird class dynamic of, like, showing the the intelligence of the everyman, of the strongman, right? Because I think one of the strongest scenes for me is where Stallone teaches him in a crazy way how to drive his big rig. He just like literally puts him at the wheel. And I thought he was going to just show the kid that put him in his place, humble the kid, right? And have the kid cry and then be like taking the, the driver's seat again. But Stallone actually let the kid drive. And I thought that was really good fathering where he wasn't just trying mm-hmm. to like one up his kid. I don't know. I thought there's some subtleties here that actually transcended what I thought it would be. Like, of course, it's very melodramatic. It's almost a soap opera for men in many ways right it's, uh-huh. it's it's very much like a still magnolias-esque movie to me it's like i don't know it's got like tearjerker elements it's very corny very That's sappy right. but i liked it i thought it was subtle and like we'll get into it later about sloan's acting but some people think he is inaudible almost because he's trying to play so quasi-depressed melancholic understated uh-huh. you know he's kind of like this this moody 
paternal figure, right? He's this sad sack of potatoes, really. <laughs> but I, I appreciated it. I, I I got where he was going for and I got the mood he was setting. So mm-hmm. I liked all these elements. Did it work for you guys? Did the actual father son or was it just cloying and annoying? Because it was that too a little for sure. Mm-hmm. So like, I wonder where you guys fell on this, just on a gut opinion of their dynamic and of the father son story. Did it work or not? Well, to me, where it really starts to come together was the the truck driving scene when when he you know puts him over there to to drive you know like you said you would think he's going to put him in his place but then he actually starts to tell him that you got to put his clutch all the way in and he's like see look now you're driving and the kid's got this big old huge smirk on his face like i'm really doing it, i'm really doing it that just kind of it hit me when i was watching it especially this time because a lot of kids don't have a dad that's around who can teach them how to drive of course i mean i know your, your mother can teach you how to drive too but it's, it's different father son dynamic so but the fact his dad does come back just at this moment in his life to teach him how to drive in a big rig, no less, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, can you imagine watching this when you're 12 years old, seeing that the first time this kid gets to drive is in an 18-wheeler? <laughs> like, that would be so freaking awesome, man. <laughs> I was like, could you imagine being one of those people on that street, like coming out of the sun, like, is that a kid driving that 12-wheeler? <laughs> like, that was my first time when I saw that scene. To me, that's where it really came together and and I really saw the father-son dynamic, you know, come to fruition and their their relationship started to blossom after that. So yeah, it definitely worked for me. There's some things that happened later on that whatever, but I mean we'll might get into it later so but it yeah. worked cool and you know not only does he drive the big rig but that comes back i like that a lot of things in this film come back to work again right and mm-hmm. when he has his great escape sequence which they cut and intercut really nicely <laughs> with the arm wrestling i love it it's so corny it's so over the we top pulls out of there in that little toyota man that was awesome <laughs> i was just like oh oh he learned how to drive earlier from his dad <laughs> i was like peter griffin when he's watching a movie and he sees the the title of the movie come out it's like oh there it is there it is he's driving a truck he learned how to drive it earlier i mean this is a smart kid too he's got gumption right he shows up at the airport realizes that it's his rich asshole grandpa's car so he could leave it right like he just like take it to the valet guy or whatever (laughs) then somehow he manages to get on an airplane i don't know if i zoned out for a second did he buy the ticket how did he get the ticket cargo how did he get on the airplane yeah the cargo i think think he flew in the cargo uh, he flew in the cargo too okay so he he understands the cargo and then he gets off the plane right and then he sees like his grandpa's henchman again and then he has enough knowledge and wherewithal to like what are those things called to connect the airplane is it just called a connector to the terminal is there a name for that kind of shoot i know what you're talking about whatever it's like the plane to like where you walk yeah we don't need the semantics but um he takes the stairway right down to the tarmac gets back on the luggage hides in the luggage has a great reveal coming out of uh, the, <laughs> the luggage, luggage convey- yeah the yeah. luggage conveyor belt right <laughs> i mean i just love that sequence it was so great and then uh the whole like action sequence of hiding beneath the bleachers it was it was fun it was a fun very sports tropey thing where we have the game going on or the tournament oh, going on then we have oh this is really fun i might be stealing jordan Sunder, but but it's usually the parent it's usually the father who works too much like little giants <laughs> uh-huh. going through hell to make it to the game right what's interesting about this movie it's inverted throughout right oh good point stallone is the kid really for the most part in this movie and the kid is the adult at least he thinks he's the adult but but what the movie kind of tells you is that actually stallone has a level of wisdom right he's like the the proletarian sage whereas the kid has all this like bookish smarts this like classist 
sense of uh, superiority, but he actually doesn't have street smarts, right? Or world smarts. So he's the one who has to invert, but but he gets to be like, oddly enough, like the father-esque figure who's rushing <laughs> to the game. I love that. It's really- <laughs> That's a great <laughs> point. I didn't even think about that. I don't think I connected with the father-son relationship nearly as much as you guys did. Like I like the driving scene because it's funny. Um, It's perfect 80s, right? You, know, you can let your kid drive your car. There's no one around. No one's going to care. <laughs> you mean, pack him in the back of the truck anyways, you take him to football practice. Like, I mean, good representation of the times. I, I always appreciate when you get those cool little snippets because like you mentioned, a lot of this has to do with like custody. It was one of those ones where both it's a giant custody battle. And realistically, like Sloan holds all the cards from the moment the mother says, take the child from school. He could do whatever he wants as a father. So it's this weird thing also going on, like just from like the legal's perspective of like, why, why doesn't Sloan just like not do anything? It's kind of like my issue. Because I get the, the whole chase is basically grandpa wants to get the kid, right? Because doesn't like Stallone, that, that's cool. He has these fun henchmen who do his bidding and stuff like that. And he has the private plane that gets him back and forth and everything like that, right? But at the very heart of it still, it comes back down to like a custody issue that's never really fully explained, right? It kind of tilts its head. It winks at the audience, right? But it creates this weird dilemma that is, it fictionalizes like father's rights in a way it really doesn't have to. Well, I mean, I think the the biggest thing was when he rammed his eighteen wheeler into the into the grandpa's house. He gives you know, him all that, the power. That, that probably yeah, they gave him all the power. But my question is, why did he? Why did the grandfather have him in the first place? Well, that was so. the other thing because I, like, I like how the kid gets back in the house. That's the funny part because like realistically, the kid just like runs into the taxi cab and the taxi cab just drives with a grown ass adult that the kid was just next to. Right. So just imagine <laughs> you're you're standing in Vegas with your kid or wherever they were and your kid just runs off because he's mad at you and jumps in the taxi and says, go here. And you're standing there and the taxi cab just like leaves like dude, what, what taxi cab driver would just trust the kid. <laughs> I mean, I think he's a rich kid, but I mean, regardless if he's a rich kid, like, what taxi cab driver would be like, hey, like, is this your kid? Is this okay? Like, you know, what's the situation? But like, I digress. That's how they get, that's how he gets over there. But like, you're right. Like, once he's over there, like, I like, the, actually like the scene. It's one of those fun scenes where you get the crashing and everything that goes in there. But like, yeah, yeah like the motivations really cool. and all that are very, like, kind of like loose. It, it, it clashes again with the setup of parental responsibility in this because it's weirdly shifted where we're, this is the first time I, I don't feel sorry for the dying mother in this one. It sounds terrible. Like, how do you don't feel bad for the one with cancer who's dying? Because he's doing all this exterior shit, like giving custody to like the father, but not filling in like grandpa or the kid on why, like not explaining anything, just like not to be a dick, but just dying and calling to tell him like, hey, how'd your day go? Oh, that's great. Okay, bye. It makes sense. I get why you're supposed to feel sorry for her, like and everything like that. But also like in the, in the grander scheme of things, of what's going on, it's one of those ones where like everything just the motivations of everything kind of just pushed off into, like you said, Paul, trying to keep it without giving detail of why Stallone needs redemption. Because for the most part, I'm like, why does Stallone need redeeming? Because like, it just sounds like mom didn't fill in the kid and just perpetuates grandpa's lies by basically just existing with grandpa after the fact, it sounds like just, you know, living off grandpa's money. It sounds like it's like the issue. I do have a defense, though. I have a defense. Yeah. I think it works for me because, well, two things. I wouldn't have known this, but I was reading Justin Peterson's notes because he does like good notes. He's always on our podcast. And she wasn't dying of cancer. Actually, she was just having heart surgery. So she was could have lived uh, and she could have been healthy after. But she was at that moment where like, you know, her life her was in peril. Kind of what? She's getting like her affairs in order. Like you need to do like Ex- your directives and all that stuff. Exactly. And there's almost a throwaway line, but I think it's a very critical line for like the plot to work, even though it doesn't even need to work that well either way, because it's a movie that ends with the arm wrestling contest. But getting back, though, I think that it should work because this is also like a heartfelt father son 
and custody film like Kramer versus Kramer, let's say, right. It's, it's, it's long lines of that. It's it's like kind of a, a more lowbrow manly Kramer versus Kramer. It's a funny <laughs> analogy. Um, I didn't think of that until um, just now, but uh, anyways, back to my point. Uh, the mom says to the grandpa that all she really wants to do is, you know, fearing slightly for her life is have her son rekindle with her father, get to know him again. And I'm just curious because I do you do know you know a lot of legal stuff about this from from writing about it. But I don't think that Sloan would necessarily have the strongest support in the court of law if he's been absent for like 10 years and the, the grandfather was given custody for that whole time. He actually because, would. What? Yeah. He actually but would. Like, I've written about the subject a lot, actually. Okay. And paternity always distinctly goes to the part, probably like, dude, he's not even in jail and just working. And he mm-hmm. finds out I have a kid. And like, again, depending on all, even if he didn't pay child custody or support for all those years and grandpa's been paying for this, this, and this by courts generally are almost always going to go with the, some sort of, if it's not the mother, the next biological parent, they're alive. Almost every state. In fact, I can't think of one state off of what I've written for that doesn't actually like have that. Now, of course you can petition at court and like do like that with a lot of money and good lawyers obviously could try to push that custody matter. Right. That's a big part. Actually. That I liked is when they go to the jail to make the proposal. Right. Cause it's really just a lawyer playing all their cards because like I said, the guy behind bars still has all the cards. He's in jail. He still has custody of the kid. Right. Mm-hmm. He still has visitation rights to a certain degree and other things. So it's like one of those ones, like that I actually appreciate like where like, he's kind of, like you said, he's a lot smarter than he leads on. Cause he leaves a decision to the kid, which I appreciate because mm-hmm. it leads like I said, I actually kind of like that aspect of it. Cause that was one thing I kind of tipped a little more in favor. I'm like, Oh, I think maybe like more than meets the eye at this part. Cause it's like I said, it's both the honor thing and just a teaching a lesson thing to his child which i like right because how many chances do you get to pass on real wisdom to the kid you don't know right which i, I appreciate that thing like i said i, I think the Saul mr sloan just backtrack really quickly to what you said really pays off in this more than it detracts this is a really good role for him and that's one of them right because it plays like two ways like what's he doing here does he not know does he know and i'm like yeah i think he does know it's what the kid wants and regardless like he's willing to sacrifice that right because like like i said it's throw all the money at the dude hope he takes the kind of thing and hope he doesn't even make a counter offer right because that's the other thing he doesn't do like right like doesn't even propose something different some other terms and so i do appreciate that i guess that's that lines up a little more realistically but it gets so like you say it gets so like lost in like the fun of the chase because like remember grandpa has all these crazy elaborate resources like you mentioned like you just jump in these cool nice cars and go off I love how like his henchmen just like know how to get to Vegas, right? And they they got the private plane and like they'll go to the event and kind of just like wait it out. It's fun. It's, it's fun in that way. It reminded me of like Snake Eyes and stuff like that. Weirdly, there's just the next generation. And it's it's absurd for sure. But like for me, it's still all about the arm wrestling. That's one thing I gotta say. Like that's I think that's even as I watch this now, like I like forgot about the kid and all those connections and stuff. And I think it's unfortunately it's because the kid's acting is pretty bad in this. But I do like Sloan. Like I think Sloan's a good father figure. So I don't think the father child thing just doesn't work for me. But I think Salone, I like his representation as like this, like I said, this absent father figure who's just like trying to justify himself without even wanting to, but when he has a chance, kind of does, which is kind of rare. Can we comment on the fact that the grandpa was trying to win a custody battle by kidnapping the child? <laughs> yes, let's start there. Really? <laughs> Come on, dude. Yeah, dude, do a quick Google search. Is it illegal to take my child in the middle of a custody battle? And just see what comes up with those responses. But then Stallone did, as we noted earlier, drive through the gate with his truck, which made him seem a little dubious too, right? Uh That that scene, I think, is what the one scene that Stallone kind of shot himself in the foot. Well, yeah, because he became vandal. I think the grandpa and his henchmen, they kind of got under his skin and the fact that the kid was in his house and it was like, I don't know. I think he just kind of went nuts on that. So I get it. He's a dad who 
I get it. That's all I'm going to say. I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. He dresses up like a woman to be with his kids. A dad who really wants to be with his kids isn't thinking clearly. Totally get it. Like, I'm glad you said Mrs. Doubtfire because like I love that movie. And it's an absurd plot. But like you, like you said, there's like a merit to its madness, which I appreciate. I think that does apply despite my previous analysis. I do think that applies to this movie. I also love that you brought up Miss Doubtfire because earlier this episode, I wanted to propose that would be the one that I would come for manly <laughs> movies on. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, man, I would love it. I asked my brother to come on for that one. He turned me down. So, yeah, that'd be awesome. All right. I'm still in that then. I, I literally put a pin in that. I was like, I want to bring that up at some point in my head as nice. you do on a podcast. <laughs> Nice. Everything's getting brought up perfectly. Such serendipity right there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for some reason, I always like the like non-genetic person. I try to like empathize with them too. But this grandpa was hard to like. So yeah, kind of rooted for Sloan. Which the is... grandpa's played by Robert Loggia from Independence. He's been in Independence Day, like Scarface. He's always plays like the the mean old rich dude. Like he, he, he he's, he's such a good character actor for that role. So I like I say, that's the one thing I liked when I saw him show up in this. That was one of those like, oh, moments. So yeah, he plays that character a lot. Yeah, he just flaunts his money in the best way, like gets that presidential suite, you know, <laughs> they have the tournament. And <laughs> he just randomly shows up this place and gets the, gets the presidential suite. That he's pro- yeah, it's just hilarious. And they look pretty cozy in there. They look like they had already had a trip out of it. I think secretly he might have had like a man crush on Stallone himself. It was going to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> because there's another key moment where like the kid finally gets caught by the grandpa again uh-huh. at the at the finals and i love that the grandpa was like we'll leave after <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah he gets enthralled by the matchup yeah he didn't he didn't leave during it yeah exactly so, I that, love like that. they say like if you go into like a if you go to a bar and like you know you see a bunch of stuff on the screen all sorts of sports like everyone's gonna turn to the fight right really quickly like we're just going on it's kind of like the same thing like got two like dudes animals in the middle of the ring slamming their arms and like said slapping their faces and growling you gotta see how that ends uh-huh yeah i mean and it's a killer final sequence i mean the whole arm wrestling bit i loved i mean i love the scorecard bikini clad girls i love the the gambling element i love hmm. the the cheesy rock music with the winner takes all song the this soundtrack to this movie oh man Fire. go ahead sorry what were you saying let's go into the soundtrack too but i i love you know all the songs in it they're so cheesy so over the top one person <laughs> really made a funny comment i believe it was on letterbox that talks about nobody meets you halfway right that's like the theme song <laughs> that yeah. is the right? theme song yep. meet me halfway yep Kimmy but the Loggins. theme song yeah sorry i botched that but the theme song right is meet me halfway yes. but the theme of the movie is that nobody meets you halfway you gotta <laughs> no, take no, it right the world doesn't meet you halfway that's the theme of the movie oh, that's a good point. true true yeah. true but the world includes everybody in it so i'm sticking well, yeah, by but... that guy's thesis i thought it was a good thesis he was like that song literally contradicts the movie but then i thought the same thing i'm glad that someone wrote something about that actually <laughs> but i think the movie's about like that cynicism is actually wrong right because they unite mm. they synthesize but then i also feel like no i think you're right jordan and i think that commenter's right because i think it's about like nothing given to you is the point right you got to go fight for it you got to go fight for your son or fight for your father even because the kid has to kind of like you know yeah end up fighting for for his rights too but yeah that's another moment that they, they really pays off right the dumb scene where the kid is forced to arm wrestle the the two like bully freckled quintessential <laughs> 80s brat pack scott farkas looking guy yeah, exactly. Um, I love that over the pinball machine or arcade machine or whatever it was over. And, uh, you know, they have that great speech where Stallone sells it, you know, and he says, you got to take it right. If you lose like a winner, at least you lose with dignity. Right. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, it sets up that showdown at the end of the movie where the kid reverses the line to him. Nice payoff there. Also, you have to have a sports movie. You have to have some sports event early on, right? And hilariously want to bring up the fact that they stop at a diner on this road trip that seems like it's through the middle of nowhere. Like they're going through like Arizona and Monument Valley and Utah and Sedona and the Grand Canyon. But they show up at this random diner, right? And suddenly all of the main arm wrestlers are there at the same exact time. That was the coincidence of, of the ages for me to set up like our cast of characters. But um, I, I kind of got off track a little. Soundtrack, favorite songs. Start with you, JB. What are your favorite songs in the soundtrack? Well, I mean, that opening track, it's actually, it's called In This Country, and it's and it's written and recorded by Robin Zander, who was the front man for Cheap Trick, which I found this out later on, but it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's so, so cheesy and so 80s, but I just love it, and when I watched it this past time, as soon as the opening credits came on and that song was playing, I was like, oh man. Yep. I'm, I'm I'm in the mood, man. I'm I'm in it. I'm in it to win it. Uh, but 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 I also really like uh, Sammy Hagar's "Winner Take All." That was a good one. But man, it's got a lot of a lot of great '80s uh, '80s bands on here, and even Frank Stallone sings a song, which is really weird. <laughs> <laughs> and then Kenny Loggins, who's like you know the soundtrack writer of the '80s, mm-hmm. he he was super busy in Hollywood at the time. You got a sick beard uh, for that one too. Kenny Loggins is the Top Gun music as well. So, I mean, very prolific in that. Caddyshack. 87 was his year, dude. Yep. Definitely. But that is so crazy. Frank Stallone has a song who just went on a Twitter rant yesterday. I guess Creed 3 does not involve Sly whatsoever, Sylvester. Mm -hmm. And he is furious. He said it's like garbage crap. Go see Top Gun Maverick as a good legacy sequel. (laughs) Never see this again. Uh, He he said that um, the lead, uh, Michael B. Jordan, is an arrogant prick, basically, who, (laughs) who thinks he's like it's crazy but he also sounds like a just uh, unhinged italian dude he sounds like the alter ego of stallone i don't know frank stallone very well but i was just like jaw dropped when i read this this long instagram post he put i just had to throw that in there for relevancy but yeah another funny thing jb to bring up is you brought up the the sammy hagar song right the the great mm-hmm. one and it also has a bass guitar solo from uh, Ed- edward van halen in the song so he was uh, really? in the band at the time yeah uh, uh, so that ended up being on the soundtrack but they actually initially hired the rock group asia to do it and so there's a there's a funny like sort of grudge that asia holds like to this day for being totally dissed they didn't they didn't dig it they just (laughs) redid it and gave it to hagar so that's funny there's a lot of like weird background trivia about the soundtrack of this movie um another fun tidbit about the the soundtrack is that sylvester stallone later said first of all that he didn't really love the film he would have made it less glossy and set it in a more urban environment he also says that he would have never used the endless stream of rock songs but created a musical score instead i don't think that would have worked with this one yeah, I think that'd be awful. But yeah. I guess I guess JB, maybe that's what he was thinking Rocky with that epic score. And the other thing that's weird is that it does have a, a score. It was composed by Giorgio Moroder, who's like the god of like disco, uh, <laughs> Italian disco. He's like uh, f- heavily featured on the last Daft Punk album still today. I did not hear his influence anywhere in the score. That's so wild to me. The yeah. score really comes in during the sports elements and, and, uh, and, the, and it really sells it as a, as a sports film there. Cause you, you, you can kind of hear all the, yeah, it's, it's really cool. Nice. How about Jordan? What are your thoughts on some of the music and some of the things we've been saying? Actually, you guys already said it all. He, he named the two songs. I like the most probably like, at the intro <laughs> for the same reasons. He puts you in that eighties mode. Um, uh, I'll be honest. It's like this, this one doesn't like kind of hold up to that mode. It puts you in for a bit until it has a good, like, 
third act. So like most of those songs really stood out to me. There's a couple like cool transition songs. There's not that many great montages in this one other than that final one though. Like, so you, yeah, you guys pretty much named like the bangers on this one already. For sure. So I disagree with Stallone. I think the Endless Rock songs is perfect, pitch perfect for this movie. I guess more of an urban environment would work because it's an arm wrestling movie, you know? So like maybe I do see that, but I love the truck driver element. I do. I love that. I think it really is a strong storyline because even his like arch nemesis is also a truck driver, right? I think he says, all I do is drive trucks and break arms. arms. Exactly. (laughs) Um, And the final thing that Stallone says, right, is he would have made the event in Vegas more ominous, not so carnival-like. Which is really? interesting. Yeah, I didn't I like- find it very carnivalesque. I found it like kind of similar to like a WWE or like yeah. a boxing match. It felt very like MGM oh, yeah. Grand. Yeah, that's why I liked it as a kid. It reminded me of like WWE wrestlers. All those dudes, like those dudes, are, like yoked up Diamond Dallas Pages. They're like bigger than wrestlers <laughs> with their arm wrestling. You know, but I feel like it's opposite. I feel like the middle needs to be more somber and ominous. Like like I said, if it was in a, in a city setting. But the Vegas, like, pomp and the giant show and everything, man, that had stuff like Ray to Rumble in it. Flavors of so many great, was it played to the bone, if I remember right, with the final boxing match in Vegas, might have that movie wrong. But yeah, there's so many great, again, like, just like combat movies and sports movies generally that end up in Vegas. Like, you know, Vegas is like, you know, the combat sports and like, it's the entertainment capital of the world. You mm-hmm. know, and especially, I love seeing 80s Vegas. You get to see Vegas through the ages as it was. That's, anyone who's been to Vegas now, it's fun seeing that. It's great being down that strip you were just at and seeing what casinos are there now versus what's there then and you know the vibe that's going on it, i loved it i also like the little random clips of the women's division of arm wrestling even though it had nothing to do with um, <laughs> what's actually going on with his you know winning that thing i thought i wasn't sure women were like gonna like there's gonna be like a big birth the character just starts wrecking dudes or something like that but like that doesn't happen maybe if we get a remake that'd be that'd be a cool thing but like for the most part just like that randomness like oh there's some there's a women's division going on too just it had that like idea like again before ufc was legal and all that shit you know, before you could really turn on the TV and see combat sports and like those like really underground things, that's where you go. You go to Vegas, like you said, the truck stop. You know, it wasn't at the form, it wasn't at the garden. I love that. So, like to me, like, yeah, it needs that. It's not like it doesn't need like a like, like Lionheart underground fight vibe, like Van Damme. Like, that's a dope ass movie. I love it, but it th- doesn't need that. I like again, like the giant purse. And like the prize truck works just for the sake of the plot. And like, I think the third act just holds up really well with this one still. Yeah, I love 80s Vegas, too. I love how, like, kitschy and trashy and gaudy this side of Vegas is, right? Because Vegas is, like, kind of high-end, especially today more. But, like, it's also very blue-collar, right? It's got that very blue-collar truck driver element, right? It's where, like, the proletarian class goes to get decadent, to, like, smoke a lot and throw their money away. And, like, what better place for an arm wrestling tournament, right? It's also, like, where we have, like, the porn conventions every year. Uh, It's, like, the center of that (laughs) industry, right? It's got that sleazy undertow to it. Yeah, it's perfect setting for it. And also, I I think the carnivalesque atmosphere is right for it. My only maybe maybe preference is Reno. I think Reno is perfect in Kingpin and it would have worked really well in this because it would have pushed it even more to the margins, right? Because like bowling, Reno. Arm wrestling should be Reno too. It doesn't like have the glamour of even Vegas to me. It needs to be like imitation Vegas. Yeah. Or, I, I, I like I agree with you. Reno would be better because right Vegas, you go see boxing, but you want to see the arm wrestling. Go go up to Reno. <laughs> go to Reno, or even better, Laughlin. Like even the baby to Reno, like the That'd worst cool. of the three. But anyways, JB, I want to get you in on this. What did you think about the arm wrestling thirty minute segment at the end? I, I want to go back to the to the kid arm wrestling real quick because you know you had asked me about how it relates to sports movies and and what makes it a sports movie, and and it started to me with that arm wrestling match with the kid. Mm-hmm. Because he lost the first match and he wanted to quit. He ran away. 
And so Stallone chases him back. He says, you lost back there because you beat yourself. You told yourself that you couldn't win. The world doesn't meet anyone halfway. You have to take what you want. You're my boy. Get in there and win. Even if you lose, it doesn't matter. As long as you win with dignity, you lose like a winner. If you don't go back in there, you will regret it for the rest of your life. And to me, that is sports and sports and movies 101. These are these principles that you take in sports that actually spill on into your life. And that's why, you know, I'm a coach. I coach basketball and and, uh, baseball. So when one of the kids that I coach sees me like at church or just at the supermarket or whatever, they run and say, coach, and they give me a hug because they're happy to see me because, you know, I'm a, not just a coach, I'm a mentor, a friend of, you know, father figure, cheerleader, you know, like, so the kid understands the importance of having those people in your lives at that age. So sports movies transcend throughout our lives. So seeing that with the kid really sets this up as a sports movie to me. And then you get to go on later on and see him arm wrestling with all these guys. Like you said, it's this huge spectacle, right? Yeah. Y'all can't see my arms, (laughs) but it's in this Vegas setting. And it's like hilarious that there's a, big rig in the middle of it (laughs) but that that final act is it really really sells it and especially you get to see so many matches in about 15 minutes and kind of a montage with a lot of grunting and (laughs) yelling and stuff (laughs) cursing yeah it's it's a good time the sports betting is going on too like people are lining up and actually that's how yeah exactly live betting i'm gonna put lincoln hawk walks up there i'm gonna put seven thousand dollars on lincoln hawk so that was a cool element to it as well it it was a cool scene for real like i dig that a lot I mean, I guess the third act was really the main sports part of it. So, yeah. Yeah. They basically have two setups and that's it. Right. They have the the diner scene and then the, the kid scene. Right. Kid. Uh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And then the, both those come to pay off really well at the end. I think also they had to do a lot of economic filmmaking right at the end because they don't have any narrative building for the world of arm wrestling until the end, for the most part, besides the that's two true. scenes we keep mentioning. And I do think they do a really good job of giving us those spliced in interviews with all of the wrestlers talking directly to the camera and giving just like a, a quick quip or one line mm-hmm. about who they are, right? And we, we get to learn their names and their personalities and they're all fantastic. I love every single one. There's Mad Dog Madison and... <laughs> <laughs> he t- he tells the camera, everyone tells me you're the best. I just want to be the best one time, right? That's a that's his line. We have Bosco, maybe my favorite. My whole body is an engine. This is a fire plug and I'm going to light him up. <laughs> and when he says the fire plug, he's referencing his biceps. Great, great, great. Rob Bull Hurley, who's our main nemesis, right? Who's wearing this perfect Las Vegas trucker hat. Oh, yeah. So awesome. He's okay, five like, times. I know really quickly. He's actually for comic book movie fans. He's like the dude that Batman kills in Batman Returns. The giant jester looking dude with like a bomb that Batman like dummies down a sewer and like drops the bomb on him. So just a little side note there. That's one of those other roles he played in. Again, he plays like a carnival looking character in that one too. He's perfect for it. He has that like Bam Bam Bigelow look. I had no idea. That's such a great reference. <laughs> like WWE reference. Yeah. I mean. Who are some of your favorites of all the rivals, right? We have Carl Adams as well. I didn't bring up. Yeah, we have our main guys. We have Grizzly. I yeah, didn't bring up. I think Grizzly's the one who looks like Diamond Dallas Page, kind of like the bullet and like the blonde. That was my favorite one. Like the giant arm. Yeah, he looked like that 80s pro wrestler come to life. 
that's the thing. I love all their like backstories. Like the dude from Canada looks like a lumberjack. Looks like he's just been like chopping down trees all day. <laughs> like you know, arm wrestling on his brakes. That that character's always stood out to me. Like the Canadian dude, his like intensity when he's losing. He looked like he probably really arm wrestled. Like some of these dudes look like they probably like were real. I didn't even research. They look like professional arm wrestlers. They probably just like get in there and do some cool stuff. They got like a little Stallone <laughs> against them. So like I always I always love how small Stallone looks compared to like these like these giant giant ape like dudes. Yeah, I also appreciated too that they didn't like look down or condescend on these athletes in any way. Like I think that a little bit cheesy for f- a few of them for fun, but like especially Rob Bo Hurley, right? The the main arch nemesis we keep bringing up. He seems dead serious. And I love that about it, right? He's like, I drive a truck and I arm wrestle. It's what I do best. Being in second sucks. Number one is everything. And he's saying it straight face. He's saying it sober. And I actually really, really love that about it. Because they could have taken this ironic, winky, like this is absurd because it's arm wrestling approach. And they didn't. I I, I don't think they did that. So I, I really love that. So he kind of was my favorite, like, especially when, when they're like showing the final showdown, he, he brings up the fact he wants to cripple every opponent oh, yeah. so that they never compete again. I mean, the guy's just like, he got some of the he's, best one-liners. he's ruthless, he but, but all I love of these lines are amazing. Yeah. I mean, Sloan's great too. Sloane, when he's just saying like, the truck is all I care about, right? It's the most important thing to me. I need this truck. And that's it. And he's yeah. still so sad. <laughs> and woe is me. Such a Romeo, the father Romeo figure. I like that a whole lot. And I love that one too. I like that you brought the truck one because it's just that like the, the cutaways to the combatants, the athletes, if you will, it reminds me of like a spinal tap kind of, right? It's this weird tongue in cheek thing where like you're supposed to like laugh at like the absurdity of it, right? And then you get like that moment of like sincerity. Like everyone's like has a cool, sincere moment where like, oh man, who I want to see this guy, like how he goes down or, you know, who, who he's going to go against. But Stallone's was the only one where I was kind of like, it, it didn't ring right. Right. Until he says the truck thing. Right. Cause he, he does yeah. the cool hat thing. Like for me, when I put the hat on lock in and like, it felt like he was just doing it on the spot, like chirping other people, like on the set. And they're just like, keep going, keep going, man. Tell him about your hat. Like, you know, it was like, kind of like that. But then he got to that truck and he's like, bring it back to that working class element. Like, but oh, just need that truck. He's got to do his job. He just bet the bet. Like, I love the way he comes back to like the, one word truck so like i was so confused because i was laughing at first i'm like oh man i hope he gets his truck though no he definitely (laughs) sold that so much sorry jb go ahead no i was just gonna say like we were saying the bull hurley and that scene with uh with lincoln with the stallone where the hat scene they remind me so much of like a doc brown who's like 100 so serious all the time but they're freaking hilarious and everything they say sounds so stupid, but they just sell it. And so like when, when, when Stallone, it's like, what I try to do is it's like, it's like he's telling somebody how to, how to pick, fix a car or something. What I try to do is I take my hat and I turn it around like this and it just flips a switch in me and I'm like in the zone and you know, nobody can, I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? <laughs> yeah, especially come up, dudes. Like, I just go out there, to ride my truck, and break some arms. Everybody's like, I'm like a piston. I'm there to brass. Like, this is so just like meticulous like, compared it's to everyone very, else. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, he, he says it in such a methodical, procedural manner. Right? He's he's dead. <laughs> dead serious and i love that he says i become a truck i become a monster <laughs> truck or something yeah, like that was great i'm a like, machine i become a machine a machine, a like machine. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they keep the motif perfectly going i love it i mean oh man all those lines are perfect i mean it really builds enough 
personality and character, right? For the whole competition, right? Because you mm. you start rooting for people. I felt bad for Grizzly when Stallone gets one win where like he basically just kind of gets a head start. And I think that's against Grizzly. I was like, that wasn't fair. Like, <laughs> poor Grizzly there. Um, yeah, there's like a few contradictions because like you said, they don't really explain the rules very much. It's all just like visually like appealing. Everything just super cool takes, fast takes, loud noises. Like you said, the grunting, the, the bone kind of sometimes it sound like maybe like a bone broke or something like that slamming. But it's like when they do like the hand wrapping part, right? Where it gets like super intense, where it kind of like makes a little more mm-hmm. sense of like the rules and like the, the re-grabbing becomes a little more clear. But you're right, there's like this whole thing of like double pumping and stuff where it looks like he's like repositioning his arm, which I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to do. But it's all Stallone for him. That's why I kind of felt like everyone else looked like maybe like kind of like some of these other movies do might have been like consultants in actually arm wrestling just because of the consistency of like their technique in those scenes. I have no clue about technique or anything with arm wrestling. All I know is that I feel like every match should have what the last match had. They, they needed to put that strap on every match. Otherwise, to me, it's not fair. Because the only thing I do know about arm wrestling is if you get your hand like over the other person's thumb in a way, it doesn't matter how strong you are, you're going to win. Yeah, and a so leverage to it. Yeah, over I the feel top. like over the top, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah. But there's like a kind of a cheaty way to do it too that I feel like they needed to have the strap every time. I don't know why they didn't. <laughs> have this strap every single time. But uh, what we're saying too, though, is we like how they treat the subject matter serious, right? Even though it could go a different way, right? Mm -hmm. Which I think is a testament to Canon Films, right? And a testament to the director, Golan, who started the whole direct-to-video franchise and put out all the Stallone movies, basically. Uh, Rhinestone, he put out the Rambo ones, Rocky IV, he put out Cobra. I mean, Golan and his partner, Globus, right? And they made thousands of these fast, cheap movies, but they're, they're serious about them. They, they wanted to make is over the top as they were good, good stuff. And so I, I appreciate that about this. I think this is truly a movie that that deserves like both enjoyment on it's kind of bad, but enjoyment on like it's kind of good. Mm-hmm. It's not even a so bad it's good either. We've been talking about that a lot on our episodes lately. I don't think it really fits that either. It's just it's nah. kind of both. I mean, it's almost bad at all, but I get that it's like of a specific taste. That's what I would say. It's of a very specific taste. It's very cheesy, right? It's very syrupy. But like, if you don't look at it mockingly, you'll, you'll have a good time. I kind of already spilled the beans for me. I, I call this an underdog film. Absolutely. And I want to hear from you too. So that was my thesis for it. Do you consider this overrated or an underdog film? And we'll start with, we'll do JB last because our guest. We'll go with Jordan first. Okay. Jordan, what do you think? Okay, so for me, I'm going to go with this one is an overrated film, I'm going to say. Like I told Paul when he's like slapping, he was about to start watching. It's like, oh, dude, you're in for a treat. Cause like I said, I really remember like like having a lot of pride in those like that third act and the and the actual arm wrestling is what I really remember about it. So when I threw it on, like I said, that the opening sequence with this great just 80s like set set up with the great music, my favorite credits. I love classic 80s credits and stuff like that. I was on board. Mm-hmm. Then I forgot there's so much of this like build up. Like there's only a couple arm wrestling scenes, like you mentioned, the diner, uh, the one against the bullies. Uh, there's a lot of like you said, the kid just like you know, flushing out and lashing out and stuff like that. But I do like the dumb action sequence you have to have, like to remind people Sloan Stallone, like the crashing of the car into the mansion, right? You have to have it, right? Who doesn't want to see the car go through the gate, especially as a kid? That's the other thing I remember about it, because like mm-hmm. me and Paul always reference Free Willy and them running into the gate to save Free Willy. And we were the <laughs> only ones in the theater laughing, I remember. <laughs> no one else thought that was funny, but we were like, they're going to get the will, though. Yeah. <laughs> so like you mentioned i was like yeah he's gonna go get his kid like I, I dumped on it from a legal perspective but like those are the fun celebratory moments because that's sloan just doing sloan stuff 
And there's no reason for him to really be that much of like a quote unquote like badass or like, you know, ex-military dude in this one. But he gets a couple times like kick some bodyguard butt here and there. You know, he gets that little big entrance with, with Big Rig going into the mansion, which you, you have to have, right? You got the Big Rig, you got to have it go into the mansion. But like I said, a lot of the stuff getting to the third act didn't really like line up with my memories of it, unfortunately. So that's kind of why I feel like I'm a little harder on it this time around. And like, I felt like it just felt a little flatter than I remember. But having said all that, when you get to that third act, though, I was locked into my seat on board. Like you want to like headbang like all those dudes. Like I said, it, it brings like all the great like pomp of, like I said, like the 80s and early 90s, like WWF wrestling era, that stuff. And that just still resonates with me. Like if you like movies like Ready to Rumble, um, like even Rocky, like I said, when it gets to Vegas, it really shifts. And I dig that. I don't even say if you like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, just because you like Vegas movies, this one might be one to watch on that list if you haven't seen it. Like I think it qualifies as a Vegas movie. If you want to go into that kind of like down that like genre route. But other than the third act, I was pretty hard on it when I was watching it. And I was like, eh, it's really not a good movie. Um, I think there's a lot of cool other Stallone movies to watch before this. But if you like you said, if you're a fan of all those movies we've been covering lately, I think it's worth taking a chance on. If you took a shot on like uh, Blood of Heroes or any of those like last three kind of like sci-fi sports ones we've been doing that are kind of like out there and a little edgy on our analysis of them. This one is a little probably more centered, easily accessible because it is a straight sports movie. But it's not really debatable. It's an alternative sports movie, like something you'd find on like ESPN 4 now or something like that. But my personal like take, I had it higher up there. And I remember, like I said, it's one of those cool child movies. I remember being like, like Conan, something you, that drives the imagination of a child a little bit. Um, and I think as an adult, it just doesn't do it. Perfect. That's the uh, first time in a while that we've had an overrated, which was strictly um, in the context of like a movie we once loved, but the nostalgic factor kind of gave us rose to goggles or lenses yeah. or glass, whatever you call that phrase. And then when we come back to it, right, it just doesn't meet our expectations, which is which is always a, an interesting experience, right? It's like mm -hmm. this... Uh, subtle letdown of in deja vu all mixed together but now we have a tie i like this too right i called it an underdog it was my first time i was expecting complete trash <laughs> and it wasn't that i thought it was a compact story with a saccharine drama at the center but a very fun cheesy 80s tournament at the end which I, so it had all the elements to me that work for a sports movie so i said it was underdog jordan didn't live up to his childhood expectations kind of a disappointment so now jb what's yours you're going to be the tiebreaker here is the underdog or overrated man i'm going underdog i didn't watch this until i was an adult you know i was 35 when i first watched it so but for me it's a, it's more of an underdog of lincoln hawk he is the underdog in this movie for reasons of unknown he he gets a second chance from his you know dying wife who's still technically his wife apparently which was kind of weird but you know we won't talk about that uh, so he takes his son and his son will not give him a chance at all but you see what develops with the first arm wrestling match and, and you talk about that third act being so great but it's set up by the first two arm wrestling matches the first one being him in the in the bar with the truckers and you see the second one with the son and you get that little coaching quote-unquote manly moment <laughs> as i would say on my show you know, between him you know coaching his son to to get back in there and, and and do it but then what really hits me was when he's in prison whatever he's he's behind bars I don't, so the yeah. mike his son he comes up to him and and link point blank asks him if he wants him to take him or not and mike just says well if i went with you where would we go like the kid's still like doesn't know 
if this is what he wants to do because he doesn't have really have a future with him because he's like I said, he's an underdog. He's a deadbeat. He's, he doesn't have any money. He travels the country. He's not going to bring this kid with him. Like all over. He's got to go to school. Like, what's he going to do? Like, I get it. I totally get it. But what Stallone says is together is all that I can guarantee. I'm just a father who messed up. The script is really bad in this scene, but it's still <laughs> fine. I know that I've done things real wrong. Now that I want to try to fix things up as best I can, I don't have a lot to give you. I may never have, but I have a lot inside of me that I want to give to the only person in my life who matters. And that's you. This is Lincoln Hawk pouring his heart and soul out to his son, but his son rejects him Mm -hmm. and leaves him behind bars. He says, you need to sign this paper over. And so Link, he sells his truck and takes that money and he goes and gambles it on himself. Because he's finally got this confidence that, you know what, nobody believes in me, but I'm going to do this because I want my son that bad. And so he, he gambles the seven grand on himself and is paying like 20 to one odds or something ridiculous. <laughs> it was it was nuts. Right. And so he does this and then he almost gives up at the end. And then his son talks him into it. And he, and he basically spills some of that wisdom that he had preached to him earlier. He ends up winning. It beats this dude that's, you know outweighs him by 100 pounds at least so it's link's story of of his arc and 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 coming around to being a success that he always wanted to be that he never was being the breadwinner that his kid wanted or kid his kid Mm -hmm. needed he always wanted to have his own trucking company and this was his seed money to start his trucking company and the kid apparently it's going to be called hawk and son not son and hawk hawk and son (laughs) That does sound better, though. It does sound a lot better. Yeah. So to me, it's a definitely an underdog film. Lincoln Hawks, one of the greatest underdogs. And it's underdog because it's not a Stallone movie that most people think of. You got your Rockies, you got your Rambos, you got your Expendables, and those movies are not good. <laughs> like, <laughs> and you think of those before you think of something like this, but it's really just undersung, man. And it, there's a really cool father-son story there. It speaks to me, and this is only my second viewing, but it's it's moving up on my Stallone list, man, and, and I, I really love it. Great manly a, movie. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> That's a glowing review of it. I like that. Because like you said, this like, despite like, you know, my grievances with it this time, like it is a surprisingly complex movie. Like, I think it speaks to a pretty broad audience. Like, like you say, it qualifies like a manly man, like manly movie, but like it's a kid's movie. It has so many different kind of like layers. And like you said, it could be a grandparent movie. Like, you know, grandparents who, this is a real situation, like grandparents who want custody of their kids and can't because they have a nefarious tense relationship with the father figure, right? Feel like they're owed for the time lost. Like, you know, these are very common issues. And like I said, in family law, and like they don't get like much attention. Like divorce always gets attention. Like we mentioned, uh, particularly in this time, 80s and 90s, it gets this weird attention and weird resolving thing, you know, um, we were just mentioning uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, where the parents, you know, don't reunite, right? They accept divorce and go on and, you know, reestablish their lives. This one doesn't resolve in that way, but I do like the, like you said, the complexity of something to tie on to with this weird, non-traditional, if you will, family structure, which I think we always like to talk about in this. And like you said, it's a staple of the sports genre, but it gives, this one gives you a little something else with, like I said, with the grandparent, with the dying, with the dying mom. And then with that spectacle element where I feel like there's so much to grab onto. It's a movie you can just kind of like watch with all sorts of different kind of other viewers. You'll leave with a lot of interesting perspectives. It's a good conversation piece. 
Yeah, I agreed. I, I think that uh, you gave the decisive review, JB, too. You really sold mm-hmm. that. It was really heartfelt <laughs> and genuine. That's yeah. a preview of what you can hear on Manly Movies, because I get really, really deep, man. <laughs> Just spilling his guts every episode, people. Yeah. <laughs> Check it out for sure. And uh, the best episode yet to come, Miss Doubtfire. But uh, I think the one thing we do agree upon by this movie is David Mendenhall is Michael Cutler, right? The child actor sucks right the worst yeah. little kid ever and i want terrible and i want to do a quick quiz for you two uh-huh. of which is on this list the worst child actor the most obnoxious kid in a movie of all time and i, I didn't think of enough but i thought of a few and so you can help me bring up some but i thought of elijah wood in north right okay. Haley joel osmond in the sixth sense christian <laughs> bell empire in the sun thomas ian nicholson in rookie of the year I don't know the actor's name, but Walker Bobby and Texas Ranger Bobby in Talladega Nights. Um, Macaulay Culkin and basically everything. Richie Rich, uh, Home Alone. The list goes on. What for you guys? Anything on there? Maybe Daniel Russo, you know, played by Ralph Macchio in The Karate Kid. Is this um, for the worst? The worst. The most annoying kid in a movie. Jake Long, hands down. Okay. The Phantom Menace. Oh, I was just saying, okay, Phantom Menace. I want to throw that kid against the wall. Just- oh, man. He's so good in Jingle All the Way, though. <laughs> He just wants his damn. Although, like I said, when I watched Superman, though, I'm on Arnold's side. I'm like, man, poor Arnold. That that's a that's a nightmare Christmas, Mario. You got your your wife mad at you. You're like, we just said the brat kid wants a certain toy. Dad's working at the office those 12 hour days. Everyone wants him to do his last chore on his list. Like, you know, my nightmare scenario, I guess. I watched that last Christmas for the first time in about 20 years or so, and I wished I would have left it in my childhood because it was so bad. Oh (laughs) man. I watch it every year. And oh, I'm, I'm like I said, that's like my Mortal Kombat. My fiance hates that movie. Doesn't want to see it. <laughs> she loves Christmas. Loves Christmas. Never wants to really watch, you know, uh, Jingle All the Way. She'll tolerate it, right? She she gets the jokes, but she's like, this is not that great of a Christmas movie. I'm like, this is an awesome one. This is this is one of my favorites. But Jingle All the Way is the best ever. What what is going on there? That's bad day. Bad yeah, Santa Brawl. I still remember when we watched it at Kim's house one year, and it was just like hit all the notes that year. <laughs> it was like the best in high school. We literally played Super Nintendo and watched Jingle all the way. Exactly. It's funny you mentioned Macaulay Culkin, though. Before I'll let Jordan go next, but uh, <laughs> you mentioned Macaulay Culkin. But everything that you were describing with what Mike does in this movie to to get to Vegas, all I could think about was, man, this is like an early Kevin McAllister, right? <laughs> yep. Out, outsmarting all the bad guys, right? So and <laughs> yeah. That was cool. No, I thought of that too. And it's also a unique inversion, right? Because McAllister stays at home, right, Kevin? And his family's the one who's running through airports and <laughs> losing their crap, right? <laughs> and so it was like, kind of like, oh, let's throw the kid into the family's role, but make it the yeah. kid doing all the hijinks. I, I don't know. I thought of Home Alone a lot during that sequence. See, I had so, another uh, Three Ninjas throwback because I felt like Grandpa was interesting with his henchmen, right? It's just like the kid loves Grandpa. He loves the, the wealth and everything, but he's, he says nothing to grab it. Like, Grandpa's just got these henchmen. It's like beat people up and collect money for him. And they do weird stuff. He never says anything about them, right? <laughs> but they literally, like like we said, they chase him through the airport. They show up. You know, they try to beat up dad. They try to kidnap him, like, in that one scene. So that reminds me of the Three Ninjas, like, when he's going out, except, like, he doesn't do karate like the kids. Like, the Three Ninjas kids would, like, beat up the, you know, grandpa's, like, uh, henchman, if you will. Uh, but it reminds me of that. But I like the Three Ninja kids acting, though. So the one I was thinking of that I don't like, though, from uh, child acting, because I like Macaulay Culkin. He doesn't bug me. I like Richie Rich, and I like Home Alone. But... I like the movie Problem Child from another good like classic like 80s mm. movie. But Michael Oliver, the little redheaded punk. Nah. He's I, the I definition of the redheaded stepchild. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 
when I think of like those weird childhood movies and child stars, he's one of those ones. I'm like, meh. These are all winners, though. I think they're winners because we remember them. They're so memorable that they win. I, I mean, I, I think the kid by the end kind of won me over just the fact because like I disliked him so much. Like he sears now into my memory. I can <laughs> erase him as hard as I tried. <laughs> I'm like Ace Ventura with the plunger <laughs> trying to erase my memory. <laughs> Of this poor kid, maybe a bad joke in this day and age. Like, I just realized how controversial that is. But anyways, yeah, we'll get just, to that. I'm age. just thinking of Jake Long. I'm a person and my name is Anakin. <laughs> stop, <laughs> dude. Just stop. What about, Brad. are you an angel? <laughs> yeah. There's angels in Star Wars, right? Yeah. Right. Moving on. No Star Wars. <laughs> just kidding. This is terrible. Now. I got yeah, to our t- other podcast. <laughs> On Rotten Tomatoes, right? Let's do our critical consensus to finish things up. Over the top, got a 32% on 31 reviews, not a whole lot. And the average rating was 4.8 out of 10 on Metacritic. So not very high. Uh, The consensus, the byline, the synopsis, whatever you want to call it on Rotten Tomatoes says, Over the top is the definitive film about arm wrestling truck drivers fighting for custody of their children. (laughs) It's a definitive (laughs) film. That is so great. Yeah, wow. it lives down its title in the cheesiest of ways. Okay, hmm. give you a second. It has some of the coolest like font for a title. It's literally what Thor like Love and Thunder is trying to do right now. Yes, right. It's what it's calling to right. But this is pretty metal looking text, like super metal. That's what I was gonna say. Super heavy metal, eighties metal, and uh, but this is interesting. Everyone, audiences pulled by Cinema Score. Wait up. Gave the film an average of B plus on an A plus to F scale. Woo. Wow. Audience pleaser right there. Because cinema score yeah. is tough. So that speaks highly of that sports movie contrast we always run into, right? Yeah. The critics pummel it. The audiences love it. They eat it up. Um, so without further ado, we'll each of us maybe bring a critical tidbit and we'll round off the episode with that. All right, so I'm just going to quickly lead things off because I think I'm the only one doing a Rotten Tomatoes review. And I'm going to start off with Shayla Benson for the Los Angeles Times. And her blip is the only diversion for this film worthwhile is keeping track of the shameless advertising plugs that dot the film like toadstools after a rain. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't mention a lot of the the advertising that is pretty rampant in this. So I just wanted to call that out too. It, It had some good 80s topical, you know, advertising plug. So you guys got the letterbox. And first of all, the background on the letterbox is fantastic. That shot of Stallone with his lip down. Oh, just like, <laughs> yeah, it's great. Like grunting and snarling. I mean, those yeah. shots of Stallone. We just like talk about both. Are right, you got that dope one? And then when you click on like the main letterbox, you got like the actual picture of him from the movie muscled out with like tied to the other dude. Like, uh-huh. poster is like Big Trouble means Little China, just with, with the <laughs> truck, right? And then like just Stallone bigger than the truck on it like people complain about the formulas for like marvel movies and star wars it's fair there's a template for that poster everyone knows about it there's all sorts of rhetorical shit written on it but if you can do the same thing for the 80s but the 80s is just more fun it's more vibrant it's like something you can put up on your wall i do mm-hmm. miss that yeah i mean the 80s has such a look right that's why stranger things is such a hit right now yeah, right because it's, it's post record like mm-hmm. you know covers you know it's, it's a post psychedelic record covers from the 70s that like, like i said the idea of metal and all that kind of bleeding in you really see that in the particularly action movies 
because like it has that element of the heroic comic book figure and like even greek mythology like the like that second stage class of like the big bodies and stuff like that which are huge in the 80s it's really reflected in like just good artwork you know having a good artist kind of pump it up in the for your poster um I miss it. It's formulaic, but it's cool. Yeah. And you could also make a good argument that if you're a listener of ours that's in college or grad school and are a cinema student and you want to write an essay about an 80s movie that encapsulates the 80s over the top, right? Because that's the definition of the 80s, right? (laughs) Every single thing about the 80s is over the top. And so this is like the perfect emblem of the 80s in every way, starting with that poster, as Jordan noted, but also like that picture of Salone, right? Like I said, he's just like girding his teeth and his veins are popping out. And we didn't talk about it at all. I don't want to get on too much of a digression here, but he did a great job acting out the athleticness of arm wrestling, right? Because you can't do much. It's not like a sport where you're moving around, you're agile and all this height, you know, choreographed spectacle to sell your your action right no you're yeah. just literally an arm and a face and like we make fun me. of the grunting and like the yelling and it's, it's it's fun to make fun of but like you said anyone who's been in like a gym or some sort of competitive thing where you're kind of like going all at it and you hear the dudes go like dudes just hit slap shots like make weird noises you know what i mean it's not just Salone. i think it's everyone with him too like the size difference really plays a cool factor in this because mm-hmm. everyone looks so unbeatable and it's like you said it's over the top but like it adds like you said to like like jb said earlier to the underdog element it really highlights it and because it's Stallone it is believable because he's the big hitter at that time just like Schwarzenegger you know he embodies like masculinity of the 80s like him and like Sloan Van Dam. it's really plausible the way we believe like you know Robert Downey Jr. or Chris Evans can kick the shit out of you know x amount of dudes and come save the day right it's the same concept but way more hyper masculine and a cool and like just like again like a lost relic of time good or bad yeah absolutely so well said and so jordan we'll start with you to keep the flow going what was your review from letterbox all right so this one comes from noetic hatter who gave it three and a half stars uh and noetic hatter writes if you find yourself not able to sleep at 1 a.m i don't suggest that you play this movie even if you have it on your iphone i don't care if you've been meaning to watch it forever and it's there 1 a.m is not a good time when it's over you won't be able to go to sleep you're going to want to start working out and thinking about what it takes to get in a truck and eventually arm wrestle some bitches. That can't be healthy if you're trying to get a good night's sleep. P.S. This movie just might very well be awesome. I like their elaborate setup. I love the pump. And like I said, it just speaks to my childhood. Like I'm telling you, like parental advisory, parents watch this with your children and make sure they don't go into some crazy arm wrestling matches or they do supervise them because it's it's addictive. Like I said, it's like it's like Mighty Ducks all those movies me and Paul talk about, you know, get the skates on, go hit the streets. This one might make your kid want to pursue arm wrestling and, you know, selling their possessions to, you know, to bet on themselves. But yeah, I love I love their flair for the for the eccentric in this one. I love that. I just picture that reviewer like just shot full of adrenaline and testosterone. <laughs> And like now with a lifelong steadfast determination to be the king arm wrestler. So anyways, <laughs> JB, what's yours? Well, first of all, I got to give uh, Jordan some kudos here because at some point I'm going to have a man cave in our next house, but he's pretty much sold me on the fact that I have to have an over the top movie poster in my man cave when I get it set up. So that is perfect, man. I'm just, I've been staring at it ever since you started talking about it. I was like, Oh my gosh, right? man, that's just, that we is want pictures fun. too. When you have that set up, we want pictures and we'll share that on our Twitter. Oh, like yeah. for sure. Cause that is, we love see, I love seeing dudes with the dope man caves with the movies, with the movie setups. I, yeah, I love that. That's definitely going up if and when that happens. We've got to sell this one first. But anyway, moving on. I've been sappy about this movie throughout this entire thing. So I'm going to change it up from my quote. 
And I'm going to go all cheesy, manly stupidness about because honestly, there is a degree of stupidness to the movie. And I know that's not a word. That's the point. But this is on Letterboxd from Ian West. He gave it four stars, mind you. So that's a pretty good rating. He quotes it because it's a quote from the movie. He says, don't try to understand it. Feel it. End quote. And then he said, this movie is the epitome of that stupid quote. I feel every particle of sweat in this moist meathead adrenaline movie slathered in a thick layer of dumb and beyond entertaining. Isn't much more to say. That quote worked better for Golan. Golan being the director. So four stars. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a great choice of words to use because, yeah, you definitely feel all the manliness of this film, all the all the sweat mm. that's pouring out, all the the grittiness and the grunting and the but it, it has a lot more to it than that. But yeah, when you boil it down to it, especially all those those scenes at the end, as great as that third act is, it really is kind of dumb. <laughs> <laughs> and and even the setup to it, but it's still so good. It's still so good. Oh, I don't yeah. care. I love Actually, it. And that, that's why even that guy gave it four stars. So yeah. To add to that, because I, I do like your point, but I was thinking about the father-son relationship. One of the parts I did like going back to the second arm wrestling one was when he tells him to like, you know, don't listen to them talking trash or them chirping you. Like the idea of zone out the words and like all that, right? And like you said, seeing the practical application of him doing that with these crazy looking, like literally like sideshow freaks from the circus, <laughs> right? It's, like, it's a classic cliche setup of, and like we, me and Paul talked about in the last um, podcast that sometimes missed from today's movies. Uh, you know, setting up the the plot points, or you know, if you will, the the toolbox for your for your hero, and having them pull from it by they get to by the time they get to the end. And mm-hmm. I did really like that because it's so again, it's a little more symbolic. And I'm talking about symbolic in terms of this movie, but it's in the best way, right? It's it's, it's hidden in, like you said, those in those like these like weird representation of the human body, like the peak physicalness of physicalness, right? And it's all hidden in that message of it being scary and something to overcome, not to achieve, which is kind of weird. So even though it's a body you want to be an arm wrestler, right? It's more about it's intimidating, it's scary, and you need to overcome that fear. And I like the way it's planted, like you said, with arm wrestling and the bullies and him, again, time to shut everything out. And again, you lost, you cried, now go beat the bully. And like you said, it's that very manly wisdom, I like that, that's passed on to him and him having to, you know, display it and exhibit it in that third act that, like I said, really drives home, again, the father of some relationship and just like the value of wisdom and it being like practical and applicable, which I, I do appreciate about this movie. If you sure. ask me, it sounds like Jordan, you're changing your mind. So uh, we better we better sign off before you change your whole rating. <laughs> yeah, right. Might re- retract my statements. That's what happens almost every podcast. We like halfway through like revert our score or our take 100. <laughs> if anything, we're good rhetoricians. But uh, it's been a fun conversation. We tackled this like no one else. Like we went after over the top, gave it a, the breakdown of the century, and the most uh, over the top review you can have on record. <laughs> It sounds like, honestly, it sounds like some of my really long letterbox reviews, I start out like I'll put like a 3.5 and then I'll start writing it out, writing it out about five paragraphs into this. I'm like, man, this is a five-star film. I I start talking myself into it. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. I totally get it. The more you talk about it, the more you think about it. It's yeah. yeah. I'm going to go to a diner right now. See who wants to arm wrestle. We'll see what happens. (laughs) Yeah. Bring your, bring your camera, videotape it. And we're going to put it up on our new TikTok. Some poor soul at Denny's be like, what's this dude watching? (laughs) (laughs) I totally agree though, JB. The more you, uh, put into something right there you reap its rewards but then there's like two days later when you're like how did i rate that five <laughs> five because <laughs> you've sold yourself so hard and then you get like a few nights sleep and you're like what <laughs> <Go>. <laughs> anyways 
Thanks for coming on, JB. And before we go, tell people where they can find you. Facebook would be JB Huffman. Uh, Twitter, just Twitter at Manly Movies One because I never get on my uh, my normal Twitter thing. Uh, I'm also on Letterboxd. That is under JB Huffman. Uh, of course, I have my podcast, Manly Movies. That's on um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you know, wherever you get your podcast. I also do another one called SEC Tavern Talk. It's just me and a few guys. We kind of sit around. We talk about SEC sports. If you are a college sports fan especially sec uh sports fan definitely check that out because we just we mainly do that during football season but usually with march madness we have a little bit here and there but it's fun it's just it's more tavern style just sitting around nice nice and jordan you know the drill where can people find us yeah, you can find us in the same place as JB mentioned here. Uh, as we always say, shoot us the chirps. Let us know your thoughts on Over the Top, whether you think it's an overrated or underdog film. And I'll, of course, tell you you're wrong and it's super overrated and you need to go watch something else. And Paul might have a different take. Uh, but, of course, we always love the chirps. So please uh, hit us up on social media and let us know what you think of this episode. All right. Thanks, for everyone, for listening. Signing off. Take care. You don't want to do a Stallone impression real quick? I'll include it. Adrian! <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one.